Hey, Airbnb hosts, Natalie here. You already hear me every Wednesday on No Vacancy, the podcast, but I've decided to add a bonus episode at the last Friday of every month called Airbnb Advice Column. Every month, I'll ask you to submit your questions, pick three to five that I think most of you could benefit from, and those will go in here. So sit back, enjoy this monthly bonus episode, and thank you for writing in your questions to Airbnb Advice Column. XOXO, Natalie. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday, and welcome back to another episode of Airbnb Advice Column. Today's first question comes from Vera. She said, queen bed versus king bed in a one-bedroom cabin. My opinion on this is always go with the biggest bed you can fit. If you can fit a king bed, do it. I am so bummed that with the layout of my units, queen is absolutely the biggest I can go. I know that kings are a huge searched for amenity right now. One of the top filtered by amenities, people love having king beds. So if you can fit one, absolutely do it. The debate that I hear a lot is people are like, well, I can technically fit the bigger bed, but it leaves very little room for anything else in the bedroom, little room for a dresser or a desk or anything. Go with the bigger bed. When people are coming to an Airbnb, they it's not like they're living there. They don't need a ton of storage space. They don't need this whole dresser. They don't need this whole luggage rack. Like I like having those things. Don't get me wrong. But if you have to compromise somewhere, go with the bigger bed. Most of the time, when people are in the bedroom at an Airbnb, they are sleeping. They are in the bed. If they need to work or they need to store things, there's other common areas of the listing where they can do that. So my preference here, go with the biggest bed that you can fit. If you can fit the king, do it. Laura asked, washer and dryer broke and guest arrives tomorrow. Should I offer to pay for wash and fold service at a laundromat? I love that you asked this. I feel like most hosts would jump to, how much do I refund for this? I don't understand why you would need to refund anything for this. Like, this is, at the end of the day, if somebody booked because they want the washer and dryer, if you were able to get their clothes washed and dried by paying for a laundromat service, I don't understand why you need to, like, justify any sort of cash refund. And I just love the way that you're thinking about this. I've talked about this before. I really don't like when hosts start assigning random monetary values to certain things like Wi-Fi being out for an hour, the neighbor's dog barked for a little bit, you know, the AC didn't work when you first checked in and it took a little while to kick on. Like, I, I just am so against how we are nickel and diming and breaking down any issue into an immediate monetary amount. So Laura, I love the way that you're thinking about this. What I would do is reach out to the guest. Most of the time, my guests are only here for two to three days and very rarely do they even do laundry. We offer it in all of our units. More so a washer and dryer breaking would be an inconvenience for my cleaner, not so much my guests. Most of my guests don't do laundry. But I would just reach out to the guests, tell them the situation and say, hey, I'm so sorry, here's what's going on. I'm trying to schedule an appliance repair before your arrival. If it doesn't happen, please let me know if this is going to be an inconvenience for you. And if they are only going to be there for two or three days and they tell you, girl, I wasn't even planning on doing laundry, then that's it. Just leave it at that. If they end up telling you that this was going to be a huge issue and this is why they booked, go ahead and look into the laundromat service. So I I just love the way that you frame this question and that you are already trying to fix the actual issue, which is the laundry not working and make sure that their clothes still get washed and not just giving them money, hoping that makes the problem go away. Good job. 
Ashley asked, do you plan deductions for the year, property improvements to save money on taxes in advance? Ashley, this is such a good question. And I am embarrassed to say I've never done this. We always do allocate a portion of our revenue to go back into improvements on the listing. Just, you know, maintenance that comes up, keeping it up to trend and up to date with everything so that it's always fresh. But it's always been a number that I just, you know, it's like a percentage based off of how much we bring in. I have never thought about specifically planning a certain amount to reach a number of deductions. That is so smart. I love that idea because the way I've come up with this budget in the past has just been like, all right, 10% of our total revenue seems good. Like, let's make that the budget for improvements. In the future, you just completely got me thinking, I'm going to ask my tax specialist, my tax advisor, like, what's the amount that we need to reach to, you know, qualify for another bracket of deductions or something like that and use that to base my budget. So up to now, no, I do not do this, but I love this question. And that's something that I think I will start implementing. Courtney said, guests know that they are not reading instructions and then leaving bad reviews for check-in. Ugh, Courtney, I have been there. It is so annoying <laughs> when you get a bad review on something that you know that you put in the details and in the in the house manual, in the check-in instructions, and guests just straight up didn't read it. That is so freaking annoying. But here is where I'm going to play Dell's advocate a little bit. At the end of the day, as hosts, I believe that we have a little bit of responsibility here. Yes, if the guest is not reading, to an extent, that's not your fault. If you've provided the information, they're just choosing to ignore it. That is incredibly frustrating. But I am somebody, if if there's a way that I can try to fix it and not just blame the guest, that is what I'm going to do. And so in this case, I would encourage you, is there a reason you think they're not reading it? Honestly, go through your instructions. Is it written in one continuous paragraph? Maybe it would be worthwhile to change it to bullet points or step-by-step -step instructions and make it easier to read. Are you just writing too much? Like go back and take out any adjectives or any fluffy language that's there and just keep it very, very step-by-step. -step. One, pull up to this intersection. Two, park under the street lamp at this curb. Three, enter the back gate on the left side. Like really go through and just think to yourself, if you are somebody who's completely unfamiliar with the property, are you really giving the guests the instructions as clearly as possible? Just give, give yourself an honest assessment if you can make this any easier. Another thing I really like doing on Airbnb, Airbnb specifically has that feature that almost no one uses, but there's an entire section called check-in instructions where you can go through and add photos and a caption, as many as you need to, for step-by-step check-in instructions. So if that's where you're getting caught up, you said guests are know that they are not reading instructions, then leaving bad reviews for check-in. I use this feature and I absolutely love it because our properties are all condos and it's kind of hard to find them in the maze of the whole condo complex. And so I have step-by-step -step pictures showing you like at the pool fence, turn left. Once you hit this pathway, turn right. And it just takes you all the way down. So that's another feature that you could start using. And it feels less like you're giving the guest a bunch of rules. It's more just like, 
a picture little guidebook that they can scroll through. So that's been something I found really helpful. And then my last tip for you to really get the guests to start reading instructions is put an incentive in there. For me, this is one thing I always say, I do not have my Wi-Fi password and my network posted anywhere in the house. I don't have it on the Airbnb app. I only put it in my printed house manual. And I did that on purpose because that way I know that if the guest wants to get on the Wi-Fi, they have to open the house manual book. And I noticed that once I started doing that, the amount of people I could tell were reading the instructions, reading the checkout instructions, reading house rules went up so much. Before, I would have the Wi-Fi posted all over and I could tell that guests were just getting the Wi-Fi and that was it. They would never touch the house manual for the entire stay. Trust me, the very first thing people do when they check in is get that Wi-Fi info. So if you can hide the Wi-Fi info in the house manual or in the check-in instructions, Trust me, people will start opening those things and reading them because everybody wants to get that network and password. So that is my tip to you. Just think of ways that you can maybe drop something in, even if it's something like, by the way, please make sure to read our check-in instructions thoroughly. And at the end, you'll find a 15% off coupon for a local coffee shop. Like put some sort of incentive or something like that to get the guests to read it. I know it's frustrating we have to do this. You would think that these are adults and don't they want to read the instructions on how to check in. Surprisingly, no, we do have to handhold a little bit here. It's annoying, but just think of it. This this is one of our jobs as a host. If there's anything that we can do to control them reading it, I take it that that's our responsibility. Make it as easy for them. Step-by-step instructions, bullet points, no clunky paragraphs. Take out any descriptive fluffy words. Keep it to the basics. Add pictures and give them an incentive to have to read it. Nicole asked how to kindly decline a guest that you are uncomfortable with. Local guest, no reviews, and other red flags. So here is kind of the great thing. You do not have to kindly decline them. I'm not telling you to go be rude. But when you decline a guest and don't host them, they cannot leave a review. They are not going to stay with you. They are not a client. They're not a guest. You've declined them. They're not going to be a customer. So do not worry about like how to be so 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 polite to them so you don't piss them off or anything they once you decline that's it that's the end of the relationship you're not going to be able to get a review for them you're never going to see them you're never going inter- to interact with them so don't panic on this i've seen a lot of hosts be like guilted into hosting people because of this fear do not worry about that like once you decline that's it they they're they're not booking they're not staying with you so do not worry about that However, I'm not telling you to go out there and just be like a raging, you know, biatch to these people and decline them. I still think that there is a professional way to do it. For me, my go-to would usually be, it seems that we are not the right fit for you. So just pick out one of the things that was a red flag to you. I've had it in the past be something where somebody kept asking, you know, I see that you say you're family and kid friendly, but is everything baby-proofed? I really want to make sure my kids aren't getting into anything. And just by the types of questions she was asking, I could tell she was going to be a very high-maintenance guest, and I didn't want to deal with it. And I basically just kind of put it on her and said, you know, it seems like we're not the best fit for you. We've hosted families with kids in the past, and there hasn't been an issue, but we do not go out of our way to baby-proof anything. We don't provide a high chair or pack-and-play or a crib. We don't really have any of these safety features you're asking for, and I think you'll be able to find something that's better for what you need. I kind of put it on them, like make them feel 
you know, like it's it's not you rejecting them. It's more like you looking out for them. I think that's the best way to do it. At the end of the day, like I said, if there's really no nice, polite way or professional way to go about it, if it's just something is off about the profile and they're local guests and you feel like they're going to be partying or up to some bad behavior or something, just remember you you don't owe them anything. They are not paying customers. They haven't paid. They don't have a reservation. You are in the decline phase. You don't owe them anything. Do not feel some sort of weird guilt or hang up or some weird need to please these people. You owe them nothing. Decline, decline, decline. Trust your gut on this. C asked, should I keep original product packages for coffee, sugar, etc. for people to see or change it into cute bottles and vases? I guess I have a slightly controversial take. I love switching things to cute bottles and vases, but I have seen a lot of people not like that. I have seen comments from guests who said, I hate when hosts do this because now I don't know what brand it is. And I don't know if they just bought some cheapo dollar store brand and that's why they're trying to hide the brand name. So this is one where I will leave it up to your discretion. I know not all guests are a fan of this. Me personally, I don't want anything branded by something else in my space. When you come, I don't want you to see all these like Pantene bottles or different branded stuff or, you know, the Bertoli's olive oil. I just think there's something so classy about removing the outside branding, not making your place feel like you just did a Target run right before you got there and taking the time to decant everything and put it into a nicer bottle. It just feels so much more elevated to me. I think it adds that extra personal touch. If a guest can see that you took the time to transfer your olive oil into an olive oil dispenser or put your sugar packets into a nice clear glass jar with a wooden bamboo lid, it's just one of those things that it just it communicates to me, you know, if the host took the time to do this, I feel reassured that other details were also taken care of. That's my preference, but I know that this one's a controversial one. So whatever you choose, I think will be fine. But there's my opinion. And our last question comes from Megan. She said, share all things pet friendly, please. Fees, rules for pets, supplies, pet amenities you recommend. Uh, This is something I need to get a lot better at. So for right now, my listings are pet friendly and that basically just means pets are welcome. I don't do anything above and beyond for pets. If you want to bring your doggy bed in, if you want to bring a bowl for your dog's food and water, like that's welcome. I allow pets. There is a pet fee and that's pretty much where I leave it. That is a summer project I would like to do. I think it really takes it to the next step to add the dog bed, add the bowls for food and water, um, add a little leash holder. I just, I think... A year ago, it was still such a rarity to be a pet-friendly listing that all you had to do was check off pet-friendly and you were already so much more above the competition. There's a lot more pet-friendly listings today, and I think that now the next way to elevate your space is to actually embrace being pet-friendly and really welcome the pet and make the pet owner feel like you didn't just check off that, yes, your pet can come, but you're actually taking the time to host the pet as well. I really think that that's kind of the next phase of being a pet-friendly listing. So that is something I need to be adding this summer. So go ahead. Like, please, if you have any ideas on how you can make the pet itself feel welcome, do it. I think that that is such a cute touch to add right now. As far as fees go and rules for pets, fees-wise, remember that on Airbnb, 
you are only allowed to charge the pet fee one time per the entire stay and for as many pets as it is. So let's say you have a $50 pet fee. Just because the person brings two dogs does not mean you charge 100 bucks. You could, I guess, manually go in and do that through the resolution center, but Airbnb does not care if the person checks off one dog, two dogs, three dogs. If you put a $50 pet fee, that's it. That is applied once for regardless of how many pets there are. And again, that's also applied only once for the whole stay, not per night. I know some hosts have a problem with this. I actually find this to be completely fair. To me, that pet fee is covering the additional cleaning that has to be done, more vacuuming, taking time to lint roll the couch and and the duvets and anything like that. And at the end of the day, if I have one dog there, two dogs, three dogs, my cleaner still has to vacuum all of the floors, still has to lint roll the sofa, the duvet, anything upholstered. And you know, whether there's hair from two dogs or three dogs or one dog on there, they're still passing over all the same surfaces. So I think it's really fair to only charge the pet fee once. If you want to charge it more, just make it very clear in your listing description and house rules that upon booking, you will be sending a further payment request for any additional pets. Make that very clear so you are not hitting the guest with any surprises. But for the most part, I think it's super fair for it to be applied once for the whole reservation, regardless of how many pets. Pricing-wise for that, look at what local costs are for somebody to board a dog at a doggy daycare or a doggy boarding overnight. There are some cities where it is $150 to board a dog overnight. If that is the case, your pet fee can easily be $150. Even if that seems high to you, it could be more. It could be $200. Because a pet owner is always going to pick the option of keeping their pet with them if they can, instead of boarding it. So there is an added convenience that comes with being able to have the pet with you, and owners are willing to pay that. So that is where I would start when it comes to pricing out pet fees. Another option, too, is just to look at what your competition is charging. Go look through other listings. That way, you know, you're a little more in line with what other listings are charging. But again, I think I think you full on have permission to go as high, if not higher than what it would cost to board a dog overnight locally. And your last question was, what kind of rules for pets? I don't really do a lot of rules when it comes to pets here. I've seen hosts put in rules like pets are not allowed on the furniture. I just don't know how you enforce that. And at the end of the day, there could be a pet that jumped on the furniture 50 times, slept on the furniture. And if my cleaner arrived and didn't notice any damage or urine stain or hair or scratches on the furniture, I don't really give a shit if your dog was on the furniture. Like if my cleaner can't tell after you left, that's fine to me. And, you know, there could be so many cases where hypoallergenic dogs or something were all over the furniture. And I just think once they're in your home, you don't have cameras inside. You can't really enforce it. Once you've made that decision to start hosting pets, I think you kind of have to embrace it and all that comes with it. And my philosophy here is if there ends up being damages or super duper duper excessive cleaning, then I will charge you and file a claim. But I don't really think I need to put a ton of boundaries within hosting the pets. I've marked myself as pet friendly, and I trust that the owners that are willing to bring pets know how to be responsible with them. I've also seen hosts do 
pet weight limits. This is another one I'm I'm not a big fan of. I've seen hosts say, I don't want to host pets that are over a certain weight limit. I only want to host small dogs, not large dogs. You guys, in my experience, small dogs are the ones that are more likely to scratch up your furniture and scratch up your doors. Big dogs are always so calm and docile. I just... I don't know. I, I think that you can like really get into the weeds here. And at the end of the day, I like to trust the type of guest that is willing to travel with their pet. They're going on vacation. They're not going to bring a pet that's going to be a burden or super annoying to have. I like to trust that if my guest thinks they can bring their pet, I, I think you can too. And if we run into something after, that is when I will charge you and file a claim. I've been hosting pets on multiple listings for over a year now. And the worst incident I have had was a chihuahua I think that just peed in the living room and the guests did not wipe it up before they left my cleaner came in and was like oh there's a full-on pee puddle in the middle of the living room but you know we get waterproof flooring for that reason and don't have carpet and so I think if you're if you've set up your home in a way that really is able to accommodate pets then that's pretty much all you can do we didn't even charge extra for that. It's annoying, but my cleaner took two paper towels and wiped it up and sprayed some sanitizer on the area and you move on. I I just think that this is way too much to start micromanaging. You're not there. You don't have cameras in the place. If you're going to be pet friendly, truly be pet friendly and welcome pets. Don't start putting all these different stipulations around it.